Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. We're continuing our ongoing Black History Month discussion, delving into new approaches to public and private conversations about race. Later, we'll talk to GBH President and CEO Susan Goldberg about the station's multi-platform initiative to delve into the nation's complex racial history. But first, we'll chat with author and journalist Michelle Norris, whose new book explains how many Americans are already engaged in frank and poignant covert discussions about race. Norris's new book is Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity. Michelle Norris is an author and journalist who is currently an opinion columnist for The Washington Post and host and executive producer of the podcast Your Mama's Kitchen. The former co-host of NPR's evening news program All Things Considered made history as NPR's first African-American female host. Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity, is her second book. And Michelle Norris joins me now from Washington, D.C. Welcome, Michelle. Hey, Callie. Good to be with you. I'm so glad to have you. And I'm going to start right away letting my audience know we've known each other for a long while. Back to our days at ABC News Network (laughs) before you went to NPR. (laughs) As you make clear in your book, fabulous book, by the way, this is a postponed project. You picked it up after writing your great memoir, The Grace of Silence, a family memoir. Um, I don't know if I told you I cried at the end of that. It's so good. Um, But then you picked the work for our Hidden Conversations Up Again, um, which was based on a project you created called the Race Card Project. And I want you to describe it and how it came to be. I wanted to invite people into a conversation that I didn't think that they wanted to participate in. And that's why I created the Race Card Project, where I started to distribute postcards. And they were simple and they were black and they had just, you know, simple writing on the front. Race your thoughts, six words, please send. And the idea was to take a complex subject and ask people to just reduce it to what is most important to them, their memories, their laments, their anthems, their anxieties, their triumphs. And I printed 200 cards at my local Kinko's and then I just started distributing them everywhere when I was on book tour. And the cards started to come back to me, Callie. People started to write their six word stories. They would affix a postage stamp. They would go to the mailbox. They would drop them in the mail. And that's how it started. It started It started with postcards. And I want to emphasize that because they mailed them, they had to take some action. They wanted to respond. Um, and that said what to you at that point? Because, you know, they could have just looked at them and said, eh, and gone on about their business. And, you know, and, and a lot of people did. I mean, not, not all the cards that came back to, that we printed came back to us, but a whole lot did. And I did this because I thought no one wanted to talk about race. And then when I started to see the cards come in and how carefully they were constructed and how often people would draw pictures on them or send some little message that they wanted to be heard. And then that's why I created the website, working with um, my partner, Melissa Bear, who's been with me since the very beginning of this project. 
And we created a website because what was coming in the inbox was so interesting that we wanted other people to see it. And I just love this idea that, you know, people were, were saying things like, you know, father was racist. I'm not. No one word can describe me. Did my Southern grandpa attend lynchings? You know, and that these, these messages were just floating uncovered through the U.S. Postal Service. So not only were they sending them to me, but they were really anybody who touched it, the mail carrier, the, you know, whoever sorts the mail, whoever picked up the mail, guys at the UPS store who were putting it in the little box for me to go pick up, you know, people were able to read and absorb and think about those messages all along the way. So now there are more than 500,000 messages on this website. The responses keep coming in. I bet, no doubt, spurred even further now by the book that's out, um, Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity. I want to know, um, why six words? There's something about the challenge in six words. You know, how can I tell this story in just six words? And they're also... There's a certain music, there's a certain rhythm, there's a certain cadence. And as you listen to people read those stories, you realize there's a there's a certain two, three rhythm to that. Each chapter, the way the book is set up, of course, we have lots of the postcards reflected or the responses on the postcards reflected in the book. But you set up each chapter, you sort of organize them around common themes um, with a table setting essay that you write beautifully, I will say. Um, and I want the listeners to hear your voice on the page. Uh, one of the early chapters is called Breadcrumbs, and you explain in your essay, which I'm going to ask you to read part of, uh, that actually, even though people may not be talking about race, they sometimes leave these little hints about who they are um, really when they may be living a life that uh, is opposite of who they are. When asked to share their six words on race, a lot of people find their minds going straight to their parents, grandparents, or some other branch of the family tree. My great-grandfather changed his name. Mother's warnings at four instilled racism. Grandma feared Black's grandson is Black. Grandfather's funeral, only one Caucasian attended. Grandma didn't let Dad speak Spanish. We lost our culture to survive. In retrospect, we should have expected that people trying to make sense of their racial identities today would compare or contextualize their current views of self with the older folks in their orbit who lived by a very different set of rules. The distance between an 18-year-old and an 80-year-old may not seem that great when they're sitting across from each other at the holiday table, but the chasm is quite vast when measured against their norms and expectations around race. The 18-year-old and the octogenarian could rightfully view each other as people who are products of alien worlds. In many cases, the older people have not just stories, but secrets. The younger people have questions or judgments or an inkling that the kindly elders who hold such a treasured place in their hearts were once people they would barely recognize when young themselves, people with harder edges or hardened attitudes people who could barely dream of the things we take for granted today, people whose anthems clash with the accepted ethos of this moment. That's my guest, Michelle Norris, author of Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity. Now, Michelle, you've had time to sort through this, to, to gather, to put them in chapters. I want to know if there's a common thread, if there is one, that crosses across all the commenters, no matter 
who they are and how they are responding? I think the common thread is probably some combination of courage and honesty, the courage to share their story, the honesty, the whoosh of candor that you experience when you when you pick up these stories, whether it's someone saying something, you know, quite simple, like it's okay to see my color and it's right next to <laughs> on the next page, photo of gravesite, KKK on headstone. Someone flipping through old family photos inherited from a long gone grandparent. And one photo was of two men I didn't recognize. She says, standing on either side of a grave in a distant small town ceremony. On the back of the photo was a handwritten note. The stone had three Ks on it, but we had them sanded off, meaning that the family decided, oh, maybe we don't want this on the gravestone anymore. But they were at one point proud enough of that membership that it was on the, the, the gravestone, on the head the marker. Um, so, you know, those are sort of the common themes, but it's hard to find a common through line because the stories, when you've collected 500,000 of these stories, we've archived 500,000, we have thousands waiting to be officially archived. They come from all different directions. They represent all kinds of perspectives. So it's hard to find an individual through line because it really is like a, a river with, with several tributaries. And people are talking about all kinds of things. And, and I guess, you know, I should say here, Callie, that as these started to come in from all kinds of places, I also was quite surprised by the number of cards that came in from people who were white Americans. That was not what I expected. Um, the number of cards that came in, the stories that came in from people who were very conservative um, and decided, you know, I want, I want my story. I want you to hear my story too. The number of stories that came in from people who feel in some ways sidelined in conversations about race because in America, the conversation about race tends to be a bit binary, black and white. And people who were Asian, people who were Latino, people who were indigenous, people who were in the military and just say, you know, my experience means that I feel like I'm in a different cohort from anybody else because I've seen three theaters of war. And so there, there were all kinds of surprises along the way. And it's, it's just too difficult to try to take all these stories and then try to figure out what the through lines are. So instead, when I wrote the book, I wanted you to experience the, the instances where there were cards that were repetitive. And so you understood that. But the, because this, the subject is race, there's also a lot of chaos. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm speaking with Michelle Norris, author and journalist, whose latest book is Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity. So I want to circle back to the the white people participation in it, because you said a couple of things about uh, the robust participation that, as you've said, was somewhat unexpected. Um, one of the things you've asked is, why should people of color be the only ones having a discussion about race? But you also made the point that often white people are on the defensive about it. They feel like a lot of conversation, as you said, doesn't reflect them, and that often people of color are, quote-unquote, playing the race card. So I wonder how you assess, in general, how you assess the self-identified white people and what may be common themes among what they're saying. I was not expecting to get this kind of buy-in from white America. I will just be honest about that. I'm a woman of color. My experience around conversations about race is that they're usually by for about people of color. There's usually an expectation that the entire room looks to the people of color and says, okay, well, Rhonda, tell me what you think. And that's kind of the burden 
and maybe the opportunity, but it does feel like a, a little bit of a burden that people of color have to kind of carry this. The benefit of having so many people tell their stories is that we escape the danger of a single story. So it's hard to take all these stories and say that there's a sort of single through line because there's not. When we think about stereotypes, we often think about how they're laid on the shoulders of people of color. A lot of white Americans in this moment feel very defensive about race, feel like they can't express pride, feel like they are automatically lumped in with certain other cohorts of people, that people look at them. One man said, all the racists look like me. The big lesson, though, I take from this is that if we are going to have conversations about race, we really need to make sure that they're bigger and broader and wider and stop expecting that people of color are going to carry that conversation. Or if we're talking about trying to push America forward, people of color and more specifically Black people are going to be the ones doing the work. I mean, it's hard for the people of color to solve a problem that is built around or solve a, a, a construct that is built around a power system that is sort of rests upon their very existence. And so I am hoping that this exercise shows that it is possible for us to have a more fulsome conversation where many, many more people can participate. Last question. What do you want readers to take away? I wanted to have, I wanted this book to have a beating heart. And I wanted you to be able to pick it up and read it front to back if you wanted to, but also pick it up on almost every page and find someone or something interesting that would invite you to, you know, fall further into this. And so I hope that people are more curious after they read this book. I hope that they are enlightened in some way by learning about life as lived by someone else. I hope that this book sits on a kitchen table or a coffee table and and that it is the the catalyst for lots of conversations that people pick it up and say, Hey, have you ever heard someone, you know, say this before or that they pick it up and they think I've never thought about this and maybe ask someone else. I have a friend who went away with um, her adult children and her adult children have all partnered across some sort of cultural line, either across a color line or a religious line or ethnicity. They're all you know, it's a big now blended family. And they were all uh, for a weekend vacation together. And she left the book on the kitchen table. And the book has this beautiful cover by Kadir Nelson. So it's a little bit inviting. And people kept picking it up all weekend. And it was the locus of the conversation all weekend long. Um, and sometimes they were debating and sometimes they were discussing. And more than once there was, you know, laughter. And at least on one occasion, there was a little bit of tears because there was some discomfort. But that book wound up percolating throughout their entire weekend. And as an author, I loved hearing that. Um, and it didn't mean that everyone like picked it up and read it front to back. It just meant that it was there for people to sort of dive into. And, um, and I hope that lots of people have that kind of experience. Thank you so much, Michelle. Ellie, it's been great to be with you. Michelle Norris is the author of Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity. It's available online and in bookstores now.